scripture passage for today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14 and 19 through 24. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are bent on evil. They said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this cat. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this uh, time together. Thank you for your word. May it be a seed. May it be planted in our hearts and um, germinate, grow, bear fruit. Bear fruit for our lives, for those around us, for the whole world, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
Ancient people are so dumb. Those people back then, so stupid. Doing their dumb things. Worshipping calves. Who worships calves? Who worships cows? I can't believe them. I can't believe they would do something like that. Who would actually do something as silly as worshipping a cow? Is it up there? Yeah. Okay, good. Because <laughs> that, that joke just does not work if... Uh, if uh... So do, does, does anybody know where this is from? Wall Street. Wall Street, yeah. Well, also Maryland, yeah. So it's right in Wall Street. This is uh, this this uh, particular beast is there um, for all to see. Rather large, in fact. Um, it's the bull on Wall Street. Uh, look, everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. The story we heard from Adam is a story about what is true and also what is not true. True about us. True about God and true about our relationship with God. What is true about us is that we all do worship. We often don't think about it because uh, it's like that um, uh, the joke about fish and water. Uh, David Foster Wallace is pretty famous for having done a commencement speech about worship, and he starts off with this joke. And the joke is, is that there's two young fish swimming along and then there's an old fish swimming the other way and passes them and he says, hey boys, how's the water? And they sort of look at him and then they keep swimming and then one turns the other one and says, what's water? Isn't that a great joke? <laughs> um, uh, it's not a great joke, based on your reaction. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's a really interesting point, which is uh, we all worship, but we don't quite realize it. And one of the reasons we don't realize it is because we have this idea that we live in a mostly like um, secular world where it's mainly about reason in our world, you know, and then there's this little group of people who still believe in God and they have to sort of argue to everybody else why believing in God is reasonable. And so we're always like trying to talk on everyone else's terms, you know, and I, I encounter this all the time because I'm part of something called the faith community. And it's this group of people who everyone is still fine keeping around because we do good things. But most people are like, I don't know why they're still believers. What, what is that about? And David Foster Wallace's speech is all about how um, everybody believes in something. And the question is, what do we believe? But everybody believes in something. You know, whether it's investment wealth, uh, whether it's what Wall Street reports, um, maybe it's that. Maybe we believe in um, good looks. Maybe we believe in sex. Maybe, maybe we, we believe in the nation state. And we, we believe that we're all going to be saved if we just get the right person in office. Uh, or, I mean, we, we all believe in something. We all trust in something. And there's a group of people who say, well, that's not religion. But when, and, and so they, they separate it all out. But there's another group of people who say, well, if we look at the behavior of, say, nationalists, we'll say, just pick, na we'll pick on them. Um, if, and we should pick on everybody, because everybody does this. But if we pick on nationalists and we look at their behavior, they have a set of symbols, 
they have a certain set of practices, they have the same sort of passion, they look like religious people. The walks like a duck, the talks like a duck. That's, that's, a, that's a nationalist. That's a religious person. Um, so, so everybody has something, and, and we, yeah, we could pick a nationalist, but we all do it. We all have something um, that we trust in that's larger than ourselves, and it's more than just science, and it's more than just reason. That's what our scripture in Exodus 32 is talking about, is the fact that we are all worshiping. And what happens to the Israelites is they're learning how to love this particular God who brought them out of Egypt, and they're doing it with the help of Moses, and then Moses disappears for six weeks to go up the mountain to work on the covenant. So he's meeting with God, they're in like a powwow or whatever, and the people feel alone. The people feel left alone, they feel bereft of this God that brought them out of Egypt, and they're like, we can't handle it. We need a God in place of the God who is not here. This absence of God, this void of God, this silence of God is not okay. And we need somebody else to talk to us. Um, the reason they pick a bowl, it seems weird to us, but back then, bowls were a really good symbol. Um, they're a symbol of strength. They're a symbol of virility. Um, that, it's just a very powerful symbol, and so that's why, they, that's why they pick a bowl. And it's a golden bowl, and gold meant a lot back then. It still means a lot right now. And so it was sort of like the best thing they could come up with and think of. And that, again, we all do that. Like We all pick sort of the best thing we can imagine to put our trust and our faith in. And so that's, that's what they're doing. Um, the truth about us is that we're living in a kind of wilderness, just like the Israelites were living in. The truth about us is we're living in this sort of void, in this absence, and sometimes it feels like a major silence with God. Sometimes we pray to God and we don't hear an answer. Sometimes we want God to do something for us and God seems to do absolutely nothing. Life is a wilderness. I was, I was looking at um, T.S. Eliot's famous poem, The Wasteland, you know, because I kept thinking this idea of life is like kind of a wasteland. And he has this line in there that it's just like a heap of broken images is what we're around. So we try one image and it doesn't work and we try another one and it doesn't work and it's just a heap of these broken images. We might have moments where it all makes sense and it all clicks, but then like Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday and then Friday. You know what I mean? Like, it, you, you, especially as you get older, you know, the, the like, the sameness of life, the, the, sometimes the drudgery, sometimes the confusion, sometimes flat out conflict, frustration. And so we need something to fill the gap. We need something to fill that void. <clears throat> you left us alone, God. We need something to fill the absence. Now, I've kind of said it one way about like how frustrating life can be, but there can be another void too. Sometimes we're so filled with joy, sometimes we're so filled with excitement that we need somebody to say thank you to. Sometimes there's so much that's good that we want, we want to express gratitude to something. What do we express gratitude to? Is it the free market economy? Is it yet another politician? 
Is it our genes? What is it? What, do we, what are we going to say thank you to? We all turn to these kinds of things, and all of that is just called worship. Again, they chose the calf because it was a really, really useful symbol. We turn to physical beauty, intellect, consumption, wealth, nation-state, rule book. We all turn to something to reassure us in the wilderness, and that is the truth about us. This story is not just the truth about us, it is also the truth about God. And here we see a God who is angry. This God is furious. And you know, we all have different backgrounds in religion, in the church, and that kind of thing. Some of you have a background where you grew up with a very angry God. And so you might see this God and you'd say, yeah, I sort of recognize that God. And I'm having a hard time with that God. I struggle, actually, with that particular God. But there are different kinds of anger. This one does perhaps look familiar, but the closer we look, it's not, it's not the anger of a God of impossible standards. It's not a God who, whose perfection has been violated. It's not the anger of a God who only cares about the rules and punishes any who slip up. I hope that that picture of God does not sound familiar, but unfortunately it's a very familiar picture of God. Constantly watching to see if we're going to stay within the lines. That is not the anger of this God. And it's not the anger of the God of the Bible. This is the anger of heartache. This is the anger of a lover whose beloved has taken another lover. You would be furious. You would be furious if the one you loved was stepping out. You would be so angry. And if you weren't angry about that, there would be something wrong with your relationship. That's the anger of this God in this passage. There's this great line in, in what he says. And we, we don't often get like kind of an insight like this, but there's this great line where he says, leave me alone. And you know, you know, like when you hear somebody say that who you love or, or someone you care about, or if you say it at all, you always mean the exact opposite of that, don't you? Leave me alone, I don't wanna be around anybody. Ah, I'm so mad. But the reason you're saying that is because you can't bear being left alone. You feel like you've been left alone. You feel like you've been betrayed. You feel like you've been abandoned. You feel like you've been spurned. And you just want to be alone because it hurts too much to be with the person. That's the anger of this God right now. This God is deeply in love with his people. He loves them profoundly. And they have betrayed him. That is the truth about God in this passage. We've seen the truth about ourselves. We've seen the truth about God. The third thing we see in the passage is the truth about our relationship with God. And it's really Moses who shows us this. It is hugely significant that, I mean, we're in chapter 32, okay? That's pretty far into this whole book of Exodus. 
the the rules the rules that it Israel gets those started way back in chapter 20 remember the last week we talked about the Ten Commandments so the rules started in chapter 20 and we've had uh, 11 chapters of rules and then we're gonna get a whole bunch of other chapters of rules after this because Moses has to tell all the people what the rules are so right in the middle of all this is a story about God's relationship with his people and right in the middle of the story Moses comes down from the mountain sees what's going on he takes all the rules in his tablets and he throws them and breaks them and they're destroyed and obliterated that is hugely significant it's significant because what it means is that at the very center of the rules are not the rules at the heart of the rules are not the rules at the heart of the rules is forgiveness at the heart of the rules is God's love. So it's not primarily about the rules. The rules are there to help. The rules are there to keep us from killing ourselves, keep us from killing each other, um, to keep us in the relationship. Every relationship has rules, that's just the way it is. We talked a lot about that last week, I won't go into it. But at the heart of it is God's profound love for his people, and he wants to set things up so that they are able to love him back. And so then at the heart of it is forgiveness. Uh, there will be times when it feels like God has left us. Absolutely. There will be times when we feel alone, which is how Israel felt at the beginning of this passage. But the point of this story is to show that even when we break the rules, we are never alone. Even when we feel like we're alone, one of the songs that Beth has taught us, even when we feel alone, we are never alone. The covenant may lie in broken pieces at the bottom of the mountain, but God's forgiveness remains intact. This story is all about the truth, and it's also about lies. Idolatry is a lie about God and a lie about the thing we worship. So if you worship a cow, it's a lie about the cow. If you worship sex, it's a lie about sex. If you worship intelligence, the nation, or food, it's all lies about those things as well. Psalm, Psalm 106, what we've been looking at, uh, says that they traded the glory of God for a cow eating grass. It's just perfect. It's just perfect. This is also a lie about, idolatry is also a lie about us. Because you are what you worship. We're the main characters in a love story. We are the apple of God's eye. We are the beloved that God wants to be with forever. To worship anyone else is to trade our glory for something small and temporary. We are more than our accomplishments. We are more than the good work we do. We are more than our good looks. We are more than what we possess. We are more than our citizenship. We are companions of the living God. There is yet one more truth, one more truth to this story to be revealed here. When we look at the people at the bottom of the mountain longing for God, we see the Son, Jesus Christ the Son, crying out to the Father, 
wanting nothing else than to be with the Father, especially on the cross when he says, why have you forsaken me? He understood the void. He understood the absence. He understood the silence that we sometimes feel when we try to relate to God. He gets it. And then when we see God on top of the mountain grieving and remembering his covenant, we see the Father who is longing to have a relationship with the Son, who is longing to overcome sin and death so that they can be together. And when we see Moses going up and down the mountain, delivering the truth in love, the love of God and people in truth, we see the Spirit, the love of God himself, joining Father and Son in spite and over and against the power of sin and death. The word we use for this is Trinity. It's the truth about God. It's the truth about us. And it's the truth about the whole world, all of creation. So let's take heart that God has not left us alone here, but has sent his son to be with us forever by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, thank you that though we feel alone, we are never alone. Thank you for your son who has taken on flesh and knows everything that we experience, knows what we go through, understands us deeply. And thank you for your spirit who brings, us, brings him into our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.